Welcome to the American Institute of Stress's official podcast, Finding Contentment. The goal of this podcast is to highlight new information about stress and stress management techniques. While we understand that stress is a very personalized issue and different for everyone, we hope to help you find your own way to contentment. Hey, greetings, everyone. Welcome back to Finding Contentment. This is your host and executive director for the American Institute of Stress. It's Will Heckman. Thank you all for joining us again today. If this is your first time here, uh, this is the official podcast for the American Institute of Stress, and we focus on stress and stress-related issues. And if you want, you can follow us at stress.org, send in some reviews and comments. Most of the time, I love hearing from you guys. I need your help with something. You know, our mission is to improve the mental and physical health of the uh, community and the world by setting the standard of excellence in stress management and education, research, clinical care, home life, and the workplace. We educate credential healthcare professionals. We offer products and educational tools for everyone. We also publish two magazines, one's called Contentment, and the other one's called Combat Stress, which focuses more for vets and first responders. And by the way, that just came out. The new issue just came out last week. So go to stress.org and look for Combat Stress. Some great stuff going on in there. But we need your help in order to carry out our mission. We need it with your help by a donation. The Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation and your tax deductible gift allows us to continue helping you along with service members, first responders, and regular people navigate stressful situations just like you and I, so we can have a happier and more rewarding life. And every dollar is greatly appreciated. There's all kinds of ways you can donate, send in money, start a Facebook fundraiser. I don't know. We'll take Bitcoin. We just need your help. Um, So again, go to stress.org. And by donating to the American Institute of Stress, your help support strengthens and sustains our legacy of science-based stress and management education. And speaking of education, don't forget our longer-awaited documentary, Mismatch, Your Brain Under Stress, has been released and it's a big hit. Mismatch is a revolutionary documentary series exploring stress in our society and also what we can do about it. Stress is literally the spice of life. It has been said, if you don't experience stress, you're not alive. Stresses are everywhere. They come at you from the environment you live, work and play in, from other people and mostly from inside your own head. And stress is defined as our reaction to change. And like everything else, you can learn how to master your stress to live a more peaceful, productive, and happy life. Mismatch your brain under stress. We'll tell you how. It's produced by us, the American Institute of Stress, and it's put out by a guy named Justin Smith. It's a six-part documentary. And it features some of the world's leading experts on stress and their collective experience stretches from the very first experiments done on the mind body connection to the latest research into unraveling the unconscious mind. And as entertaining as it is informative, mismatch teaches us about what stress is and how to master it. All you have to do is go to stress.org to find out how you can see it. And if you're involved with a college or corporate and you, and you have uh, uh, a desire to get the instructional package right now, that includes free lesson plans 
and assessments and quizzes. Okay, so our topic today is one of my favorites. It's always been on my mind. It's about music and stress. Uh, you know, according to a 2013 Cochrane Review of 26 studies involving more than 2,000 people, music reliably reduces anxiety among people preparing to undergo surgical operations. Think how stressful that is. And the emotional benefits of musical are not confined to just the OR. The field of music therapy has exploded in recent decades and trained music therapists are now helping people manage anxiety disorders and other physical and psychological conditions. I mean, everything from pain disorder to PTSD and of course stress. The researchers found that listening and playing music increases the body's production of cells that actually attack the invading viruses and boost our immune system's effectiveness. And if that's not on your mind lately, you're probably living in a cave. Music also reduces levels of the stress hormone cortisol. Music can reduce anxiety, blood pressure, and pain, as well as improve your sleep quality, mood, your mental alertness, and even your memory. There are many ways to you can use music for stress relief. I can't, I'm not going to go into them all. I leave that to experts. And of course, the type of music you listen to matters. But there's no one size fits all soundtrack to mental health. <laughs> the right music is it's very subjective. It depends on everything from the time of day to your mood to a lot of other things. Music that is slow in tempo and that doesn't feature any abrupt changes well, you know, that might tend to be more calming, but most people know what sort of music makes them relaxed. And because it's so helpful in stress management, I asked an expert to join us today because I am not the expert. And I wanted him to help us understand how music can help us escape stress. So joining us today is Tim Ringgold. And Tim is a board certified music therapist. He's an author and the host of the Reduce Your Stress podcast. And you also have a, a summit with the same title, Reduce Your Stress. Uh, Tim is also an award-winning international speaker. He's shared the stage with some of the top minds on music, the brain, and personal development, including Tony Robbins. And Tim was the first person to give a TEDx talk on music therapy back in 2012. He's also a former regional president of the American Music Therapy Association, and we're very proud to say that he's a diplomat of the American Institute of Stress. And look, if you want to find out more about Tim, all you have to do is go to timringold.com. It's T-I-M-R-I-N-G-G-O-L-D. That's two G's, dot uh, com. Tim, thank you for joining us today, and welcome. <laughs> Well, it's great to be here. And uh, I just am so grateful. I just want to start out with some mad gratitude because of the way that you described uh, through a scientific lens, the validity of music as a tool in our life. And uh, you pretty much covered all my talking points. So we're good. Thanks everybody for coming. Um, have a wait, good day, I'm, whatever you're doing. Wait, I got more questions. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, all right. So the very first question I wanted to talk to you about is because I don't think anybody on the planet, uh, no matter what country they live in, big town, small town, wherever, can go through life not affected by music. So I wanted to ask you about your personal journey. Uh, you know, I, I, a lot of us 
we we're going through school, we take up the uh, what is it? The recorder, the recorder, or, <laughs> or, or, I know, or, or or the tambourine or whatever. But I wanted to know how did you find your way with music to do what you're doing now? Yeah, you know, I started early. I I was on stage when I was four, so I've been on stage. You know, at this the time of this recording, just shy of 45 years. And, uh, it came second nature to me. Um, they threw me in kindergarten choir and I just got a kick out of singing. And I know that, uh, you know, many people don't have that experience with singing. Um, and we can talk a little bit about that because I think it's, it's very important that people understand why they're uncomfortable singing. Um, if I took nothing else from this journey, but liberated people to feel like they can use their voice, this would be the best use of my time. Cause your voice is one of the best tools for stress management. Mm. So I just started singing right out of the gate and um, it led me all the way to St. Peter square as a junior in high school, I was singing for the Pope uh, during Holy week. And it was really there during my high moments, you know, kind of my mountaintop moments, but it wasn't until my lowest moment, uh, when I was 22, that I really understood the power of music in my life. Um, I was at a concert, ironically, um, and just a few miles away, my five best friends were murdered. Oh, good Lord. And I come from a small town, so this doesn't happen where I'm from. And well, I went to five funerals in four days. That's like Groundhog's Day from hell. I would get up, bury a friend, get as hammered as possible to numb the pain, pass out, and then wake up and have to do the whole thing over again. It was unlike anything I'd ever been through. And as kind of the resident minstrel among my friends, I sang a song at each one of their funerals and memorials as my way of saying goodbye. And it tore me up to do it, but my community embraced me for how powerful and transformational and healing it was but I, I didn't know what they were talking about. I was the one delivering the music. So it was just brutal. But the night of the last funeral, I went to another concert. And for the first two hours since I had gotten the news, I found peace. And, and no amount, and I want to be really candid with everybody, no amount of drugs, alcohol, porn, food, sugar. Like I stacked everything I could get my hands and eyes on to try to numb the pain throughout the week. And nothing worked but the music did. And I really understood in that moment, like what everyone else was experiencing when I was making the music. And, and I just pretty much dedicated the rest of my life to helping others and em empowering others in the face of adversity through music. Man, what a powerful story. I mean, I've heard a lot of people give their tale of how they started in, in stress management, but Dude, you take the prize, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like being number uh, one in a category you don't want to you, you don't want to meddle in. Um, no, I appreciate that. It, and no. it was, you know, there was a long time actually where I didn't tell that story to anybody because it was just Very too sad. traumatic. Yeah. And um, I had a coach who said to me, She's like, Tim, that's why you do everything you do. That was the moment that changed everything for you. Uh, and and I think it would be really powerful. And it's a great way for you to honor your friends. And it's a great way for you to honor what you've been through and come out of because you may take it for granted because it's you, but like, that's not common. So, you know, really own that tale. 
And it's, it is another reason it's very important for you to tell that story. Because a lot of people go through very, very difficult challenges in their life and think they're never going to come out the other end. Yeah. I'm, I'm sitting across a, a, a computer screen. I'm seeing a happier guy. Yeah. And so I, I, that's one of my goals in life is to get people to know that there is a way out. Yeah. You, you can come out the other side. You can be okay. Yeah, and, absolutely. And when they listen to someone like you tell that story and be okay, I think it, I think it gives hope to a lot of people. And I think you're right. I think music is very cathartic. It does. It's very healing. And, but I do realize it. We're all different. And but music is kind of universal. I mean, yeah, be the same. Is. You know, music for you or I. But it's kind of universal. Just I mean drum circles it's just guys beating on a drum yep you know what does it mean but tell me why because you're the expert i am not i'm just some guy who listens to music how does music affect our stress yeah you mentioned it a little bit in the intro um so most of us are just really comfortable i mean i don't introduce anybody to music that's the great part of my job they already have a great relationship with it so i just get to kind of turn up the the volume on a good relationship when you're making music, so a couple of things happen. So we know it's good for our mood. We know it's good for our spirit. Everyone just intuitively knows that. What fascinated me when I went back to school was the impact on the brain and the body, particularly specifically uh, under the you know music condition, if you will. And it turns out that music is uh, the most complex stimulus in nature, and it requires every subregion of the brain to fire in concert <laughs> all at once in order to process music. So if, if you and I think about music, it's, it's a bunch of elements inside the music. So there's the speed of the music, there's the volume of the music, there's the key the music's played in, whether it's major or minor, what the melody looks like, um, what the timbre, like the quality of the voices or the instruments, the color of the sound itself. There are so many elements within music and each one of them gets processed individually. And if you change any one of them, you change the music. And you know this from your own experience, because if you've ever heard a live track of your favorite studio song, instantly your ears can pick up that ambient noise of the crowd. Same melodic material, everything's the same, but there's this ambient noise in there, which is the room. And your ear is picking that up. And how it knows that it's a live track is because it's comparing it against past versions that you've stored and then predicting where the song is going to go. And it's always funny if you go to a live show of a rock band and they're, they're in the guitar solo for you know millennials and teens they don't know what a guitar solo is but <laughs> for those of us of a certain age we remember a guitar solo and mm. like you you know the guitar solo on the record is like eight bars and then it comes back into the chorus so there you are at the concert and like it's about to come back into the chorus and you're like let you land on one singing the chorus and they take an extra solo because it's live <laughs> and you're like, yeah, woo. And you high five your buddy. You try to cover it up, but, but they fooled you, right? Because they're playing with your expectations because they know that based on your past versions, you're predicting a, fu a future event. All of this, I'm just setting this up just to say that music is heavy lifting cognitively for the human brain. 
Hmm. So the attention center of our brain is like this single operating computer. It can focus on one object and make like discernment and make decisions on one thing at a time. And then it has to change gears and focus on one thing and make decisions on one thing at a time. We can do more than one thing at a time, but that's because those other things are things that we can automate. So that attention center of our brain where we really have the experience of life, well, music floods that area of the brain with a music signal. And it, it basically, the brain has this little tiny part of it called the reticular activating system. It's like the secretary. It decides what that part of your brain will attend to. And it learns to prefer a music signal over any other signal at as early as 32 weeks gestational age. Wow, so is that why women put like, like speakers on their stomach and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. So what they found is that, the, you know, the ears, is the, it's the first sense that develops, right? So we hear the world we enter before we see it. And we can hear sound in the womb. And when we're born, we hear our hearing's fine, our eyes, not yet. Um, and with preterm infants, they found that if you give them a pacifier that's connected to little speakers, and if they suck on the pacifier, it'll trigger lullaby music and it'll block out all the ambient noise in the NICU because a preterm infant is basically living out its last term in a completely arrhythmic environment. And so as soon as it starts sucking on a pacifier and it gets lullaby music, it's like contingent reinforcement. It takes a 32 week old or 32 week old brain about two to two and a half minutes to figure this out. And then they start sucking on it. And what it does is it develops their suck, swallow, breathe reflex. So they can begin to feed orally and then discharge from the hospital. And then you can turn up the sensitivity on the pacifier. So it makes them either suck harder or longer to develop either strength or endurance in sucking. So they figured out that the brain prefers a music signal through the invention of this device called a pacifier activated lullaby or PAL. And so our brain will choose the music signal when it has a chance. Now, one of the things like pain is a signal vying for attention, right? Because we know that in a music condition, patients will say, I forgot about the pain. So it's not like the injury went away. But their perception of the pain went away because their attention center was processing music instead of that other signal because it will prefer one signal over another. So the human brain prefers the music signal over other signals. That is really fascinating. I mean, I didn't know half of that. I wish I would have known that about 22 years ago because right? I have a 22-year-old daughter. I am just saying it would might have helped. Um, so in that way, does it distract us from our anxiety and our stress? And, and just as because pain, as you mentioned, is one of the biggest stressors for everyone. That's, Absolutely. You, that's definitely, a, you know, a global view of it. But yep. so is it just a taking you out of that moment and putting you into a more. It does more than just that. So that's kind of like the number one. The amazing part about it is what's happening in that. Uh, kind of uh, setting. Uh, but also when we focus on music, when we either make music or listen to music actively, like it's in the foreground, um, some very unusual things happen in our brain. One is that 
we release dopamine, oxytocin, and if it's soothing music, prolactin, uh, which are all attend, you know, uh, connected to the reward circuit, right? And they're connected to motivation and reward. The nucleus accumbens is this very old part of our brain, and it fires off this cocktail of pleasure chemicals when we have sex, when we eat chocolate, and when we listen to the music we enjoy or make music same part of the brain releases the same chemicals. And then the question becomes, okay, that's really interesting, but why? So, okay. Sex, procreation, got that. Chocolate, that's sugar. We're sugar burners. Got that. Music? What? Now, if you think about humans, humans are pack animals. So as mammals, we live in community from cradle to grave. We're not like bears that mature and go off on their own. So we need to live and work and co-operate together. Music creates connection between human beings. When you make music with each other, oxytocin gets released in the brain and the feeling of connection occurs. Music is social glue. It gives us the experience that we're not alone. That is one of the most powerful balms, salves, right? Spiritually and socially to know I'm not alone in the moment. And you know this because you've been alone and felt totally connected to an artist through your earbuds. I sure have. (laughs) Teens feel more connected in their bedrooms by themselves than they do in their living room because the music isn't scolding them, judging them, lecturing them for what they've thought, said, or done. It just accepts them and reminds them they're not alone. And the other part of music is, is that there's poetry involved too. You know, some, some artists, some music artists really speak to you and totally. to who you are and, and what you're I, going I, through. Right. And I've experienced that and it's a very calming experience. And uh, if you're lucky enough to find that one or two artists in the world that, that have done that for you, it, it's, it's an experience like no other. Absolutely. That's, that's really interesting. You know, one of the things that you've done, and I wanted to ask you about this because uh, I think it's very important to talk about. You have some experience working not only with people, but working in hospitals and treatment centers. Um, tell me what that's been like and, and what you did for those people and those patients. Absolutely. Uh, in the hospital, I worked in oncology. Uh, I was part of the pain management team, the palliative care team. And when the, when the attending docs can't treat the pain and the anxiety with their knowledge of uh, prescriptions, pharmacological interventions, they bring in the palliative care docs. And then they have more knowledge of you know, better drugs, basically. And then at some point, those docs administer whatever they know, and it's still not working. It's like their anxiety and their pain is still not being managed. And then I would be the one they would refer. So when I would be referred to see the most symptomatic, most challenging, sickest patients in the hospital, I'm like the relief pitcher, like they bring, mm-hmm. bring in the lefty. And, uh, and so I would come in and I would work with the patient and we would engage with whatever their preference was in terms of their energy level and their interest. And I would give them just a menu of options and we would either make music together. I would play music for them of music that they remembered and loved, you know, or we would listen to recorded music together and it would be like a reminiscence kind of thing. Or I would do relaxation exercises using music-based relaxation tools. And 
typically in a 30 minute session, you know, that I would ask them, what's your pain? What's your anxiety? And they would get on a scale of zero to 10. And I'd ask them before and after. And the data I would collect routinely was in their own self-report a 50, roughly a 50% reduction in pain symptoms. Wow. And and roughly about a 63, 65% reduction in anxiety and nausea symptoms. That's awesome. And that's in a single session. We don't know how long the music that effect lasts because their attention, you know, can get interrupted by a doctor coming in five minutes after my intervention and giving them terrible news. So it's very hard to standardize that care, but it was a very powerful experience for the patients and the nurses would know to try to leave the patients alone after music therapy for as long as possible because I was the one person on the treatment team who could finally calm them down, finally allow them to fall asleep which was really rewarding for everybody involved in treatment centers, working in mental health. It's a little different. Um, We're working with clients who are struggling with anxiety, depression, self-harm addiction. uh, And most of that has trauma in the background, which has turned their nervous system on. And now it's stuck activated and some great work by Stephen Porges and polyvagal theory. If uh, the listener wants to go do some great, great learning on how to like look at trauma through a new lens. I recommend his research, but what we do in mental health is we're using either again, live music interaction, uh, recorded music or relaxation and some songwriting, not much. Um, what we're looking at is five key outcomes and they, they spell an acronym. So it's really easy to remember. So if you can think of the word sober, Music, when you make it live, it helps you to stay present because it's time-based. So if you and I try to snap together and you just try to snap with me, now you have to be focused in the present moment because you've got to match the tempo, right? So just even percussion, even without lyrics or melody or harmony, just tracking tempo in real time and moving your body to keep up, your attention has to be in your body because you're using it to make sound. So music making allows people to stay present effortlessly. They're not thinking about staying present. They're thinking about staying on the beat. So it's easy tool for staying present. Music allows us to open up and express emotion, which is just energy in our body. And as we move our body, we move energy out of our body without having to talk about it because words are not always the best tool in therapy, particularly for trauma. Music allows us to be creative because you're creating sound. And creativity is the muscle we use to solve problems. And people in mental health treatment are struggling with problem solving, how to regulate their emotions, how to regulate their relationships, and how to manage their past. So as you build your creativity muscles in music making, you build the part of your brain that's connected to problem solving and frustration tolerance. Now, I can guarantee you, nobody realizes that when they're banging on a drum, but that's a key, you know, like life skill we all need is problem solving. Music allows us to escape stress in a healthy way, because let's face it, sometimes the stress is right here in the moment and Calgon, take me away. We just want to escape, right? We, so that's why we reach for our phone or our fridge, right? What we're looking or our, our TV, like the Netflix button, we're trying to escape whatever's on our mind. And so one of the things we teach them how to use is what's called a power playlist. It's just three song playlists, not like one of those endless Spotify playlists. That's great. 
but the power playlist is only three songs. It's three songs that are particularly inspiring to you that fire you up like Rocky level fired up, right? You, whenever stress strikes, you get away from whatever screen you're looking at. Cause inevitably there's a screen involved. It seems, and you go put in your earbuds and you walk to the beat three songs. It's roughly 10 minutes. Just go for a walk, walk to the beat, hum along with it. By the time you get back, your nervous system will have reset and you'll be able to be at your best. And you'll be able to be solving problems from a creative and connected position, not a reactive protective position, which is the difference between the stress response and the relaxation response. And then the last one, the R is reconnect. And we talked about this before, you know, music allows us to connect with others. The beat allows us to connect in a very safe, non-threatening way. If we're both jamming together on a drum, we're connected through the beat. And now that's a safe way for people to start feeling interpersonal connection uh, in a world where they may have a lot of trust issues because of their past. So we got sober S stay present. O open up B be uh, creative, E, escape stressors, and R, reconnect. And if people want to learn more about that, it's on your website. I, I saw it on your website. That's right. By the way, I want to take a poll. When Tim was talking about the top three songs, how many people out there say, Journey, I can't stop believing. Don't stop believing. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying, it one came to my mind. That you one talk- makes your list. <laughs> um, you know, you talked about something that hit a personal note with me. And when you worked in hospitals and cancer wards, I have had the um, misfortune of having spent some time in chemo lounges with my wife. And people wear uh, headphones. And it's, 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 for those of you that have not done, done it, it can be very anxious, especially if it's your first or second time. There's a lot of anxiety involved with it anyway, just the illness itself. But, you know, that particular part of it is, is, um, is scary as hell. And I, you know, as you were talking about it, I was like, my God, how great would it have been if somebody came in and just sat there and played the guitar? And just talk to people and say what kind of music you like. We'll do that in a bar, but we won't do it there. Yeah, you know, I, I think hospitals should take note of that um, because I think I think that might save them a lot of money on uh, over medicating patients. And it's important that hospitals recognize the difference between a music volunteer and a music therapist right. because a music volunteer is still performing music. So the music is the attention that is like the center of the scenario, right? And then secondarily, it's the performer, how they perform the music. But in music therapy, the patient is the center of the experience. And the music therapist is leveraging music to address the patient's goals that have nothing to do with music. And so it's a completely different paradigm, which is why music volunteers, well-meaning, will play Schindler's, the theme of Schindler's list because they think it's pretty. Right. And then they don't understand that they have Jewish patients in the ward who are being completely re-triggered and traumatized by listening to Schindler's list. And I've had that exact experience happen where a patient says, can you please tell them not to send the volunteers anymore? Why? They were playing Schindler's List. And I looked at the gal and she looks at me, she goes, I'm Jewish. And I was like, oh my 
gosh, yep. <laughs> that would I, never occur to a volunteer, but it would occur to a music therapist right away. Hey, is there any music that's really triggering for you or really upsetting? And if I start to play a song and I don't know you have a particular connection with it and it's starting to really make you upset, I can stop because as the therapist, not a performer, the show must not go on. Your outcomes must happen. So I'll stop a song midway through and not care, but a performer, there's no way that goes against their training. So music therapy versus volunteer music, it's a, it may seem subtle, but it actually has very yeah. powerful implications in a clinical setting. It's a very important point, and, and that's a very good example, and I understand that example completely, um, having lost three-quarters of my family uh, in Germany. Um, one of the things that you talked about, and I want to just to switch uh, gears for a moment, because it, it, it was very interesting to me. I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, okay, Tim's got to explain this one to me. Uh, is you, you you write about it and you also it's one of the topics you talk about it and it's how we can overcome stress and harmful digital distractions um, and the reason it's confusing to me because I don't know other than my playing uh, I tried playing the guitar but people kept asking me to stop uh, other than my playing how you listen to music without a digital distraction yeah. So, you know, I really appreciate that because the world we live in today is a digital world and it's either using us or we're using it. So if, for example, if I'm on Facebook and I'm scrolling, it's using me, mm. I'm the product. And the research pretty clear at this point, uh, particularly for adolescent females, 30 minutes a day on social media causes clinical depression in adolescent females. It's not even correlated. It causes it. And that's, you know, in research, you can't, can't throw around the word causes lightly. No. So the research is in that we have to be very mindful about how we interact with the digital space and, and the digital tools that we have, because this phone of mine can be a lifeline of connection or disconnection Either way, it depends on how I use it. So it's, it's about being mindful in the use of the tools we have. So the, here's how I would recommend people using their technology so that it's not a distraction, but it's actually something that they're using to help connect them, whether it's to the present moment or to a past moment that's a safe place. So for example, when I say to people, listen, there's three ways that you can reach for music. And one of them is you can make it. Now, what comes to mind is going to the store and buying a guitar or, you know, taking lessons. That's, you can do that, but that's not for the brain. That's not what's required for making music. The only thing required for making music is engaging my body in some way. So check it out. If you can tap, snap, clap, hum, rap, sing, or even scratch, as long as you're using your body, what's happening is you're having to send all these signals, gross and fine motor movement, coordinating them to either an internal rhythm or an external rhythm you're listening to. And you're having to do some sensory motor planning and execution. That right there puts you into the present moment, which is the most empowering place for your mind to be. If it's in the future, it has no control. And it knows that it's distressing. If it's in the past, has no control. 
that's distressing. But when it's in the present, it's in your body, your connected mind, body are connected in the present. We have control in the present. We know this. So it's empowering. So what you do is you listen to the music you already love, but don't just be a spectator. Try to keep up with the snare drum, just the snare, like hit your desk on every snare beat. And if there's a fill, try to get the fill or pick out the kick and, and tap on the kick, like pick out an element of the music and match it. What that does to your brain instantly, it takes you in a completely different place. Now you are in the moment authoring the experience. You're utilizing digital technology. You're not being used by it. So that's, a, one, that's a big difference. one example, right? It's, it's yeah. a completely different way to think about something we use all the time, which yeah. is music. But it's like, yeah, but what about that kick drum? Oh, I never even thought about that actively. Yeah, well, go match it. See what happens. Like there are some great, like I take people through certain songs, like When the Levee Breaks by Led Zeppelin. The kick in that song is epic. And when you just start thumping along with just the kick in that song, you feel like a God. It's amazing. It's so powerful. It's so powerful. You listen to Santana and you listen to Black Magic Woman, you pick out like the percussion in any Santana music, like whether it's a cowbell or it's the conga drum. Like if you just try to tap along with that, cause it's always got this little syncopation, this little spice to it you're really dialing in the experience in a way you never have before. So that's how you can reach for music and not have the device, you know, use you. You know, that's a really good point. And we've talked in length about the problems, digital distractions cause. Right? So many people and, and like you say, if they cause a problem. Think about that. It's not just an opinion. It's a fact. And yet, we have rules and, and regulations about how we drive a car, how we, I mean, how we do almost everything in our life. Some of it's just common sense. None of it relates to how we use our digital media. Uh, yep. Even if it's not, you know, Facebook or whatever social media you're on, even if you go on YouTube, you can fall down a pit of despair, just <laughs> watching the wrong videos. So absolutely, you know, pick a music video. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and they're there. So like, oh, for yeah, example, watch them all the time. <laughs> our, so our humans typically have this golden decade of music, which is about 14 to 24. Right. That's exactly uh, right. <laughs> okay? It's, it's the, it's the soundtrack of us coming online as an adolescent, as an individual, like who am I as a self and what, what am I about and what's my story and what's my soundtrack. And that then we start to form groups in, you know, connection with that music. So the, you know, the metalheads start hanging out with each other and the, you know, the uh, punks start hanging out together. Right. And so you start to find identity that way. So it's this very powerful experience. Now, for those of us of a certain age, when YouTube didn't exist when we were teens, we just listen to records or cassettes. But if you go onto YouTube now, you can watch live versions of any song you've ever loved someone's uploaded a live version of it on YouTube and you can see your favorite artists playing that music either much later in life or an old grainy recording sure. from way back in the day. And you will have such a powerful experience of reminiscence. And sometimes again, the present is where the stress is. So we need to take a break from the present. We can mindfully 
use that technology to reconnect. So Led Zeppelin was the soundtrack of high school for me. And I remember watching the celebration day uh, on YouTube, the live them at the O2 arena, their reunion, sobbing with happiness, just tears of joy, just listening to this music that meant so much to me and I hadn't heard in decades. And here they are on stage performing it live. And I'm lucky enough to watch it on a big screen with great speakers and really immerse myself in that experience. Now I'm using YouTube to connect with this really powerful part of my past that works for me. You know, you said a couple of things that really hit home. One is, and I was told this a long time ago, the music you listen to in your early 20s, that's it. That's you. <laughs> You're going to be listening to that for the rest of your life. So pick carefully. Uh, and, so, <laughs> and, you know, I'm a little bit older than you. And I remember when things like The Walkman came out. For yeah. those of you who don't, don't know what that is, it's, it was the first time you could actually carry music around with you and put in some sort of earbuds that made your ears bleed. They hurt so bad. But you now had, you lived your life like a movie. You had a, a, a score to your yes. life and it made such an enormous difference. You also said, you know, what a, an experience it was to go to that concert, to be involved and think about that. The music put a pin in a very important map of our life or a, a, a pin in our timeline of our life. And music did that. So if, if you're thinking that, okay, it's just music. It's, I bet you you can remember things just by a song coming on. Well, I was going to say the radio, but <laughs> whatever way you listen to music, if you, you know, oh, you listen to a Stevie Wonder song, you know, it brings me taps, back. Absolutely. And it taps into memories that you are there. You've stored all the data. You just didn't have a reason to retrieve it. And when the music plays, it's like a little tab on a memory marker in your right. file cabinet. It opens the file and all that information is there for you to retrieve. And, you know, buyer beware, like you'll notice also that if you go back and you listen to certain records, like recently I listened to an Allison Chains record that I hadn't heard since college. And it was actually kind of a rough time in my life when the year that this record came out, and I put the record on and of course it brought back the memories and I really had a negative experience. Mm -hmm. And this is important for people to understand music is powerful and it can elicit a negative emotion or a stress response if there are negative events attached to the music. So that neuro association is something to be aware of. And this is something I coach people who are in recovery. Your party playlist needs to take a break for several years before the neuroassociation between the music, the memories, the feelings, and the behaviors kind of start to atrophy. Luckily, there's a universe of music to listen to. But if you have music that is connected to negative events, understand that is a very real connection. It can trigger very real feelings, very real distress. And so just you know, tread lightly on those. And if, it, if you notice a negative response, stop the music play something else that's the beauty of the autonomy of being the dj you know what one, one of the great things that you talk about is about reach for music to manage stress um you even mentioned it before like people who are under enormous stress or or going through very acute situations where they are reaching for all the wrong things because 
it's such a, I don't know why we do it as humans, but we reach for the wrong food or we reach for booze or drugs or cigars or might well, sometimes ice they cream. work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's well, why they that work sh- in the moment and the part of our brain. So just when we're stressed, like the stressed brain craves, what does it crave? Relief. Right. It doesn't care whether it's legal healthy, socially acceptable. It just, it, the, it's a very primitive part of the brain that's trying to problem solve. And there's this great uh, doctor named Gabor Mate, who is uh, very big in the addiction world. And he says, you know, addiction isn't a problem. It's a solution to a problem. So when we reach for all these behaviors or substances, it's because there's a problem. The house is already on fire and we're trying to put out the fire as fast as possible. And so, oh, grandma's quilt. Don't care if it's grandma's quilt. I'll cover the flames with it. If it puts the flame out and I have to burn the quilt on the way, I'll burn that quilt because that's the part of the brain that just wants to solve the problem fast. It's just that the fallout afterwards is bigger than the problem before, but the part of the brain that's stressed doesn't know, understand, care. It's not connected to that part of our brain that understands future consequences. So for those of you who are stressed, when you reach for everybody reaches for something, when they get stressed, that's your brain's way. It's working. It's doing what it's supposed to do, which is it's trying to regulate. It's trying to relieve. It's trying to relax. And it's just, it doesn't know that that thing that works in the moment is bad in the future. And it's, it's the part that's behind the wheel when you're stressed, which is why you want to try to regulate your stress as much as possible and turn off your stress response throughout the day. Because in our modern world, our nervous system gets activated chronically and it's not designed to, you know, we, we live in a world that our nervous system can not function in. And so we have to be really clear that our nervous system is like this three-speed bike and it's getting stuck in second and third gear all day, every day. And that's having real consequences on our physical health, our mental health, our social, our spiritual health. So then the question becomes, how do I, how do I turn it off when possible? And then how do I learn how to, you know, mitigate the situations that I can't eliminate? And how can I reframe situations from the past where I can't change the event, but hindsight's real and I can apply it mindfully. So how can I reframe past events so that they're no longer weighing me down? Oh, there are some real tools I've got in my tool belt, but number one, how do I turn that threat response off fast? And the the two things that I know that turn it off faster than any medication are breath and music. And you can reach for both. 24 seven, wherever you are. Exactly what we have said on this show and at the American Institute of Stress many, many times. Um, we, we talk about breathing. We talk about distraction. We talk about, you know, doing the right thing. You're right. Your brain wants relief right then and there. That's well, it. But you can not do the worst possible thing you can you can make a choice to give yourself relief you just got to learn how what you said is exactly right and is also really the what we talk about in our documentary we're mismatched we're mismatched our nervous system to the way we live our life 100 um human beings were made to deal with acute stress right it comes, oh, look, a bear is attacking me. I think I'll run. And 
your body goes into fight flight syndrome and the bear is gone or or you're gone but hopefully the bear is gone and you come down from that acute stress and you're okay right these days you said 20 minutes of facebook can stress me out for the rest of the day right <laughs> So we're not built for that. We're, it's a mismatch. And uh, that was the premise of a lot of uh, uh, the documentary. So that's, you hit the nail right on the head. It's very important. We are speaking the same language. The exactly. other piece that you alluded to early in the introduction was uh, around cortisol, which, mm. you know, no cortisol, no life. We need cortisol in the right doses at the right time as mm. nature designed. But in our chronic world, you know, the tigers, I call it the tigers of the 21st century. Like what are the stressors that are chronically activating cortisol in your body? And it was so uh, validating when I was uh, exposed to the research that shows that music making and listening to preferred music turns off cortisol production, shuts down your adrenals. And why that is, is because music initiates what Dr. Herbert Benson at Harvard Medis Medical School calls the relaxation response. You know, in our culture, we always talk about the negative side in healthcare. It's like really sick care. It's ironic, right? We're always talking about diagnostic criteria for when things are wrong. Well, what, well, how, what about when things are right? So if we only talk about the stress response, what's the opposite? The relaxation response is the phrase that he coined. And he said, you can, you know, trigger the relaxation response. And now we know this through Stephen Porges's work with polyvagal theory is that we can, we can turn off the stress response. We can turn from sympathetic to parasympathetic, from uh, sympathetic to ventral vagal, depending on what theory you follow. We can do that in a snap of the finger with music and with breath, and that will create a better internal environment for our physical body. So our immune system doesn't take a hit like it does when it's stressed chronically and chronic inflammation doesn't happen as a result of that elevated cortisol. And so as soon as I learned that, I was like, man, I had, I had no idea. Cause I always just thought of music as entertainment. And then as a masochist, like if you want to take lessons, you know, education, like the, you talked about the recorder, yeah. right. But what about music for self-care? How does that work exactly? And if, if I know exactly how it works and that it works, I can reach for that. Well, I love music. You don't have to sell me on listening to music for self-care. Just tell me what are the best practices and what are the contraindications and I'm gone. And so that's really what my work is all about. It's empowering groups and individuals to know exactly how to reach for music multiple times a day to keep up in this mismatched world. You know what? I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot because we're on the air and uh, we're running out of time, but I, I know we haven't covered half <laughs> a third or right, maybe 10% of what we really should be listening to. So I'm hoping you're a diplomat of the American Institute of Stress. I'm hoping I can hoodwink you or convince, convince, I meant convince into doing a webinar for us. And so people can listen to you and not just me drone on with uh, questions, but um, I'd love so, to. Uh, oh, you heard it. I got there you it. Go. So uh, on the hook. So if, if you're listening to this, keep an eye out on our website and uh, you'll see when that website, uh, when that webinar is going to be and when it's going to be available. But I, before we go, I wanted to ask you one thing that you uh, have on your, your website. And that's uh, timringold.com. Don't forget that. Write it down. 
you offer something on your website. I thought it was a great idea. And you sort of alluded to it. It was very interesting. It's called the relaxation vacation. Yeah. Well, okay. What is that all about? Tell me what that, because I mean, it just sounded so good. It's, it's got a great ring. Just saying it, it sounds good. The relaxation vacation. Yeah. Well, uh, in my studies, one of the things we learned, we call it either guided imagery to music or musical imagery as a, a technique or a protocol where we use music to slow down, calm down the nervous system, create kind of an audio pillow or buffer so that incidental sounds don't interrupt your attention. And then we walk you out of the present moment back to a place in your past of your choice where you felt safe, healthy, connected, happy. Walk you through that experience in a very particular way. There's a protocol for it. And so that you experience that your brain releases all of the same chemicals that it was releasing in that moment. And so you are now in that moment, like completely physically, you're in that moment. Your body is now being showered in the same biochemical soup bath that it was when it experienced it the first time and then lead you back out of that. And what they found is that it's immensely effective in oncology for helping people go through that journey. But again, Dr. Benson love Dr. Benson over at Harvard in his book, the relaxation revolution, he created an entire protocol around this and has been studying this for literally for decades. And the, what he coins it is called remembered wellness. Now what happens is go, and this is Dr. Benson at Harvard. So it's like gold standard of, you know, like I I'm paying attention He's a, even to the cellular level, your body will reorganize based on the experience it's having. So if you create the experience from a time when you're healthy, your body begins to reorganize as that healthy self. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. That's, that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. That, that can happen. You don't really think that some kind of stimulus can affect you on a cellular level. Right away, we think uh, the only way it's going to happen is if we take, drugs or if we yes. do you know something very uh uh, uh invasive we've so, been well trained yes we have <laughs> so this, so when you go to my website yeah. uh what i did is so i've been i've been leading the relaxation vacation for you know thousands of patients and clients and i had a cancer patient say to me do you have this on disc and i said no she got really mad at me she said where are you going to be at 2 a.m when i need you hmm. and i was like whoa good point yeah. So she kind of schooled me. So I recorded it and now it's available on my website as my gift to anybody who stops by. Just you'll see, right. You get to my website. There's my big bald head smiling. And it just says, want to take a relaxation vacation? And you'll say, why? Yes, Tim, I haven't taken any other kind of vacation in 18 months. So put your name and email address in there. And um, that's my gift to you. Tim, thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. I, I, thank you for having me. I, I, oh, one of the best conversations I've had for a while. Uh, I love talking music. I love talking stress relief. I, I do it often, believe it or not, as executive <laughs> director. Um, I, I seem to have a lot of conversations. And, and the funny thing is people ask me about advice. I say, you're asking the wrong guy. I'm, you know, but I know people <laughs> like Tim Ringle. Uh, so go to timringle.com and maybe you can learn uh, how to manage your stress a little better. So thanks again for, for doing this. My um, pleasure.
and I look forward to our webinar. Now, that's going to be it for today because I don't want to go too long, but thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us, Tim. And um, this has been your host, Will Heckman. I want to thank you all for joining us today. Don't forget, please follow this podcast and uh, just send in those reviews and comments if you like. And remember, as I said in the beginning, your support is what helps keep making these podcasts possible. And I want to remind everyone, just as stress is different for each of us, there is no one stress reduction or management strategy that is right for everyone. And that means you need to join us next time as we explore more stress management strategies and insights. And remember to visit stress.org, gather some information, tools, and techniques to help you live a healthier and happier and a longer life. And I hope the information that you heard from Tim and myself today will help you find contentment. Good day, everyone.